Welcome to Save What You Love. I'm Mark Titus. Today's episode, I get to sit down with Zach Carruthers from the band Portugal the Man. This is an incredibly entertaining episode where we get to hear about things like Zach's most intense and scariest moment on stage during a live performance, fishing in winter during the middle of a pandemic, and releasing a long sought after and awaited album of treasures from uh, an earlier time when the band uh, was starting out. Also, we dig into Zach and his bandmates foundation, which is now called the PTM Foundation. They're working tirelessly on indigenous rights and on social justice causes that are aligned with what we're doing here on the Save What You Love podcast. What a treat. It was such a pleasure to sit down with Zach. I hope you find it the same. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you'd consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and or writing a review in your own words. It really helps get the word out about this show. And if you're starting to look for a gift for Father's Day, head on over to avaswild.com where you can pick up a summer salmon experience kit. In that kit, your dad will receive two frozen fillets of flash frozen wild Bristol Bay sockeye salmon for three consecutive months. He'll also receive both of my documentaries, The Breach and The Wild, as downloadable to own forever files that you can watch up on your TV at home. You'll get a Tom Douglas salmon rub and also a recyclable VR set of goggles where your dad and and you can take a VR trip in Bristol Bay, stand on a commercial fishing boat, fly fish in a river and hook into a rainbow trout. It's pretty cool. Anyway, go on over to avaswild.com. That's save spelled backwards wild.com and check it out. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Zach. We'll see you next week. Zach Carruthers, welcome. How you doing, man? Good to see you. It's good to see you. I'm I'm well. You know, uh, just one day at a time, plodding through COVID here, and uh, we're we're God. I can see some light on the horizon. Yeah. How about right? how about things down in uh, in Oregon where you are? Yeah, things are things are getting good. People are starting to get vaxxed. Uh, there's talk of uh, things are kind of uh, I don't know figuring things out. You know, it's not really going back to a normal, but we're creating a new normal and. Uh, yeah, things are starting to fall into place. Well, speaking of falling into place, I understand you are going through the travails of building out a home. How's that going? Yeah, uh, very slowly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, as you've, you've been to my place, uh, we're right on mm-hmm. the rivers. So we have to deal with a lot of floodplain, uh, FEMA permits, uh, riparian habitat codes, which I totally agree with. And, um, but yeah, there's just been a lot of things with design. There's a lot of rules and I get the rules, but we're just, 
uh, yeah, waiting on permits from the city and been waiting for like a year. It's a nightmare. So I haven't had a kitchen in like a year, but my friends are in Spain. So uh, we're house sitting at a very nice place in the city, which I, you know, I like being outside of the city, but it's nice to have a kitchen and a nice shower. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I can't see Kitchens. any studs in this house. <laughs> Fully drywalled. Oh, God. All that finished stuff. Uh, yeah, kitchens are good. Sounds like a whole lot of adulting, really. Um, yeah, it really is. I'm not particularly good at that. <laughs> well, you're speaking of rumors. <laughs> did uh did you we we got to hang out in november um and we were just talking about uh steelheading yeah did you actually get to get out and swing some flies over the winter i did i did quite a bit i got uh um i hooked three this winter and what? um yeah and uh i did good i did man. pretty well because numbers are not good it's a really sad no. state for steelhead this year i went up to the uh to the olympic peninsula for the first time, um, kind of after all the rivers had closed, I was just walking around and looking at all these beautiful, beautiful waters that um, you couldn't fish anymore. And then, uh, yeah, it's like, it's it's a bummer, man. We got to take care of our fish. Yeah, you know, um, I, I got out too. And uh, I I used, finally, my Bob Miser uh, seven-weight, two-handed piece of glory um, yeah. that uh, I, I wheeled rather clumsily, but I actually learned how to get a fly out there and swing okay. it. And, um, I did, I did hook a fish and lost it 20 seconds later. And I'm told by my, um, my mentors and, and gurus in this, um, new addiction that I have that, uh, that was pretty good actually for oh, a thousand cats. Totally. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hooking, just seeing a fish signs of a fish is very, very good. And, uh, yeah, I lost a few too. Um, but yeah, I, I got a couple this year and, uh, all catch and release, but it was, um, boy, it was fun on the, on the two hander too, on the spay as well. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm addicted. So addicted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it is the thing that I want to pour all, all the energy into now. And, um, you know, there could be worse things <laughs> Yeah, so, absolutely. as we know <laughs> for sure, so, for sure. Um, yeah, well, gosh, I know that uh, we could go into steelhead talk all day long for real. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe we'll come back and do that another time, but, um, you know, we're going to wade into the waters of your art here soon enough, but for our listeners who only know you by your music or even one or two of your songs, tell, tell us your story. Where'd you grow up? How did PTM come together? What stoked the fire in you to fight for the things you love through your work? Yeah, well, it was all it was all kind of time and uh, just pressure cooking. Uh, but basically, we're a band from Alaska, or half the band is from Alaska, and uh, from a small town called Wasilla, about an hour north of Anchorage. Uh, we've been a band for like sixteen or seventeen years, far too long. We kind of moved down to Oregon, and we love playing music. We loved. Um, we were just kind of hungry to see the world. And so that's what started us. Uh, we, we went down to Portland and we started seeing all these small bands, bands I've never heard of from a town I've never heard of at a bar for $3. And then they just get in a van and go. And we're like, oh, God, you can just go on tour. You don't need stage lights or Learjets or any of that shit. And so we just <laughs> wanted to see the world. And so we just went out there and started seeing things. And we never stopped. And finally... Um, 
I guess the rest of the world gave in and decided that they'd like us. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, we just, uh, we kept beat them into submission. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. There was like, fine, even a broken clock's right twice a day. So we got a hit <laughs> with you. And, uh, and yeah, we were just, we were just very persistent, kept putting out music. And, uh, yeah, through them, we just, we met a lot of people. We walked a lot of streets, drank a lot of drinks, um, met a lot of people and heard a lot of stories. And so it's been kind of cool to kind of find um, reason in what we do. So we've kind of jumped very deep into the, uh, um, the, the ag- advocacy thing mm-hmm. and um, just kind of showing up for people and sticking up for what's right. Cause we were doing a lot of stuff and we realized uh, sometimes we started running out of reasons, you know? And yeah. so we just started finding a little more, meaning in the things we did. Well, my, my guess is, thank, thanks for sharing that. Um, my guess is maybe there were some ants in your collective pants as a band this last year. Yeah. Um, what was life like working in, as a working band pre COVID? I know, I, I know on the inside cause I tried to track you guys down for, um, stuff for the, the wild back in, you know, 2019, you were working your ass off. And then how, how did that go from a hundred miles an hour down to whoop, like, what, what was that all like? Um, honestly, that part was awesome. I, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of the pandemic, <laughs> what it's done to the economy. I know a lot of people are hurting. Um, but I tend to find the bright side of things and we haven't spent this much time at home since we were teenagers and it was really nice to just kind of, slow down and really think about what we were doing. And, um, and yeah, definitely it, uh, we got to, we got to focus more on our foundation, uh, and, and try to like really have to get creative in that world because originally with our foundation to kind of support indigenous or elevate indigenous voices and, uh, community uh, resilience and stuff, it was pretty simple. We were just going to go play shows and then, you know, make a percentage of like a percentage of the profits. We're going to go to donations and it was all pretty simple. And since we couldn't play shows, we couldn't really make money. And we had to find um, just a whole different uh, aspects of fundraising that we didn't know about, but we learned a lot and it was, it was a lot of fun. That's pretty much mostly what we've been working on this last year. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really nice to kind of, be forced to just calm down and we're kind of workaholics where we're busy bodies or border collies. And we, uh, kind of, <laughs> it's kind of nice to just, uh, sit and stay. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, uh, with everything you said, like, obviously this is a, a terrible thing that everybody has had to endure and, and uh, you know, God bless the souls that we lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, being forced to slow down, um, I think has been a good thing here too. uh, yeah. do a lot of discernment time and, you know, w- what are the stories, you know, mm-hmm. I want to tell, uh, what in this little s- snap of a fingers of, of existence of consciousness here on yeah. earth. And, and yeah, so man, you know, good on you. And by the way, I think that, uh, wanting to see the world and see things is about as pure a reason for, starting a band as I can think of or have ever heard of. So I think that's fantastic. Um, so back in February, um, you released the long awaited Oregon city sessions and 
I know you, you, you dug from the vault a bit and kind of rehashed and re-experienced and, you know, renewed those things. But what, what made that experience fresh and vital for you guys? I thought it was fun. For a long time, we didn't want to put it out, which is why it just got talked up forever because we, we would always just move too quick. We'd film something, we'd mix it, and by the time that it got all ready to put out, we're like, ah, oh, we're playing these new songs now. We're just moving a little too quick and like, you know, we're a little bit better now. And then, um, I don't know, watching it again and you know, being forced to not play any shows and just kind of digging through content to kind of give to people. And we had talked about releasing this for a long time. And when I looked at it again, I really liked that it was a performance where there was no audience, where it was just us. Um, you know, we weren't headbanging or dancing around or trying to look cool for anybody. We were just sitting in a room looking at each other, communicating and jamming and playing whatever we felt like. And we didn't worry, have to worry about pleasing anybody or doing anything. And I thought there was something like really pure and special about that. And it was just kind of a, a sneak peek into our basement kind of stuff, you know, what we would always grow up doing. And it, I don't know, it just brought me back to a kind of um, – a time of blissful ignorance when I didn't, there was a lot of things I didn't know and a lot of things were more pure and just like every, every time we go in with a producer or we talk to somebody, you know, you gain knowledge and, but sometimes you lose just that pure basic instinct that is inside of you. And there was a lot of that going on there. That was, that was just kind of what we did naturally. And and not to say that anything we do now is different or, uh, or you know, for any other reason. We just, we've got a lot more going on in our head now. And back then, all we wanted to do was get in a room and play music. And it didn't matter if there were people there or not. And we're just lucky that people would come and watch us. And we still are. But it was just, a, yeah, it was a, it was a whole different thing. We It was before we, we learned and thought about a a lot of aspects of this industry and uh i just thought it was something like really cool and a special like somebody just like you know looking in our diary or something like that yeah and dear listener if you're hearing a squeaking sound in the background that that's not a sample from ptm's new record that that's actually wilford brimley's (laughs) chew toy wilford brimley being uh zach's pup from the covid pup and uh he's a beautiful there he is he's a beautiful britney and uh yep aka willie smelson and uh (laughs) i apologize he doesn't like me doing anything that doesn't directly involve him yeah well as long as uh you know as long as you id the bizarre noises and it's you know (laughs) we're not worried that's coming from your stomach or god forbid somewhere else um you know i was thinking about that when i was thinking about oregon city sessions like um you know how you have those dreams where you like you go back to high school or something oh god yeah you know what yeah (laughs) and you're like it's it's the same sort of but like completely different in a way and and i i always have the feeling of kind of melancholy of like you know there's like i i don't belong here anymore but there's something i i don't know like did you get any of that sort of feeling when you were working on on this piece um 
No, I just, I not, but I, I totally know what you meant. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't feel it with this piece, but I did uh, recognize it. Hey, no, don't fight me. Um, and, but I do know what you mean. It was, yeah, it was, it was something like, oh, I'm, I'm past this, but I can still look back at this with, um, without too much critique. And I can't, like, cool. I can't, yeah, I can't be like, oh, I wish, you know, we would never do something like that now. I'm like, we can all say that. Like, you know, I've got tattoos that I totally regret and it doesn't matter. So I'm like, that was just a snapshot into my life at that time. And if I can't look back and laugh at all the things, then, uh, you know, if I was always smart and always cool and always like, what's the point of living? What's the point of growing and getting like, you gotta, you gotta evolve and you gotta look back at yourself and, and be able to laugh a little bit. And that was how yeah. one of this is, just going back and talking, uh, um, talking with all the guys about you know just how we look like a bunch of wet dogs and we're all seventies <laughs> drug dealers. And, uh, we we just look terrible, and uh, and it was it was really funny to just like make fun of everybody. It was that was the best part is just making fun of our friends. Well, yeah, I I I, I you know. Kudos to you. I, I think that takes some courage, honestly. Like I, I dig around through my old vault of uh, like first attempted scripts and yeah. you know really bad poetry, and totally you know definitely. it takes a little bit of courage and maybe a little bit of maturity to come back and say, you know, I'm not going to judge that guy. I'm going to I'm going to you know embrace young Mark with some compassion and and oh. say. Hey, like, like you said, laugh at it. Like this yeah. is, this is me from another time. And, um, and it wouldn't be me now without that. So yeah, exactly. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, and then this one, I just like, I came to grips with, this isn't that bad, but oh, there's plenty of high school poetry and shit. And I was <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I haven't found that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would cringe deeply. At a lot of the things that I've, oh my God. That I've written and, uh, and when I'm attempting to be deep or thoughtful or it's, it's so funny though, but it is, it is what makes you, I don't know, everything It's what, it's what started us off being, you know, advocates and fighting for anything. It's like, it's when I was a teenager and I was listening to the dead Kennedys and Asian orange and I was listening to a bunch of like punks from the eighties and, uh, from California and I'm in Wasilla, Alaska. I didn't know what, machine i was raging against but i was just <laughs> i was raging against the machine man and uh and it took me a long time to figure out what those machines actually are and what you know they they do and and you also have to as you get older you realize like oh shit i'm part of the problem i'm part of the machine and everything feeds everything and uh and that's a whole other thing you got to deal with but that's yeah that's how you get into just finding the things you care about like yeah, communities like water, like you know, like like these things that you that you really go for, and you find out what matters. It all starts with a feeling, and then you figure out the reasons and stuff afterwards. Absolutely, and and it's so hard when you're seemingly rudderless. You know, I, I don't know. In particular, for me, it was twenties. You know, yeah. my twenties yeah. were just brutal, and I I God Almighty, I can't you know, even really imagine navigating twenties right now, uh, our dear Tyler's in his twenties and, you know, he's kicking ass, but it's, 
it's tough out there, man. Like, Dude, you know, so going on that feeling part yeah. takes some tremendous faith and yeah. some tremendous courage and some, you know, um, some real chutzpah, you know, to, yeah. to like follow that river. Um, cause it, it, you know, at the time you don't, you just don't know, like we're, like you're saying, like you're coming aware, you're becoming aware of my role in all this and like, how can I contribute and where's this all going to end up? And, um, I don't know, man, I was, I was pretty stoked to get, to get past twenties were fantastic in other ways, but like, yeah. you know, into the thirties and forties were same now been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You had some stuff figured out. <laughs> and I do like, it's fun to reminisce about that, about that stuff, but it is just like, I do just I, like all young people. I definitely want to say this. I really wish I had listened to my gut more and I did. Mm-hmm. And I definitely made choices that were not normal and scary. And it ended up working out, but a lot of times it doesn't, but still just like, I do believe that people have like a really good sense of direction with themselves and they yes. don't listen to themselves enough and really do like really listen to your body, listen to your gut and not so much your brain. I feel like your body always tells the truth. Your brain always lies to you. But somewhere in there, there's a real mix of like what you're supposed to do. And just like everybody knows, like just doing the right thing. It's like everybody knows what feels good. And I didn't I didn't find that out. And I fought myself with a lot of indecision and overthinking things. Um, and I was I could have been a lot more effective in life. I learned that later. And I wish I learned that way sooner. I could have done a lot more done a lot more stuff well we're going to have a specific question about this at the end of the show but uh, yeah look for me i i remember those you know early mid-20s and you know if there's one thing i could tell that guy tell young 20 something mark is like stop worrying so goddamn much yeah you know about about things that are out of your control and and follow your gut follow the instinct follow the river that's being laid out for you so i think that's Really good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. So now on to some of the big work here. Um, you guys created the PTM Foundation. What, what's it about and what's your North Star in that work? Um, generally, uh, we basically are just – we're looking at a lot of issues uh, as far as like community resilience, mental health, uh, environmental things, uh, youth empowerment – but all looking at it through an indigenous lens and it's, it's basically elevating indigenous voices and we just tackle, um, it's just a way for us to get organized to do a lot of the things that we wanted to do. We were already kind of running around and making a lot of friends and trying to show up for people, but we're highly dysfunctional, you know, uh, scatterbrained artists. And so we were just saying yes to everything. We're flying all over the place and we were really working a lot and not getting a ton done. And so we brought in some organization. We started an actual foundation where we can kind of help without necessarily all six of us being somewhere. And we can, uh, it's organized. We got a, we got a director, uh, we got a board of advisors and they just like really keep everything organized, get on emails. And we just get to kind of cast our net a little, a little wider. And it's all about, it's really all about networking. And a lot of the stuff that we do um, is just connection. 
which is which is really good. A lot of time, a lot of times, um, which is all the people that we've met. You know, somebody will have an issue uh, in one community. We're like, oh, actually, that sounds sort of familiar to a friend that we have, a started an organization that's kind of solving that problem. Maybe you guys could talk and take some of that infrastructure and see if that if that works over here. And yeah, we're just kind of helping people help themselves and we're learning a lot. It's a lot of uh, really rad indigenous partnerships and it's been super cool. We've learned so much and just made amazing friends. Um, been really, been really, really awesome. Well, so you've touched on it a little, Zach, but where do you place indigenous sovereignty, learning from indigenous wisdom, and social justice for tribes and First Nations on your list of priorities? Pretty pretty goddamn high. Um, mm-hmm. And especially over the last year when we haven't been doing any shows, it's kind of been all we've focused on. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just really... Uh, taken over and just given us something to learn about and, and fight for. And there's just so many things that we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, what's, that's, what's kind of amazing about life in general is that there's just so much stuff out there and so many life changing things. And it's just, I don't, I don't like to shame people in, in the, uh, in the ally world and in the advocacy world, there's a lot of kind of pretension and there's a lot of like, Oh, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that. There's a lot of kind of shame in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that stops a lot of people. It stopped me from doing a lot of things early. And um, I really think we got to kind of stop that and just realize that like, you know, you never know what, you know, I didn't know that I did a lot of things that were, you know, I realized we're hurtful after the fact. And then, but I just, I didn't know I was, I was blind and ignorant to that. And then once I saw something and, uh, yeah, with, with the, one of the big turning points with the, uh, with the indigenous cultures was, you know, cause we, you know, always playing Coachella and festivals and there's always a lot of, you know, white people and headdresses and war paint and stuff like that. And, I always thought it was a little weird, but I didn't pay much mind until we actually saw a native guy explain it to somebody to say, look, that's offensive. That, that, you know, that hurts us. That's a, that's a big sign. That's a, you know, it's a, it just, it's not your culture. It's, it's kind of rude and messed up. And that just changed me and John saw that. And we're just like, we're like, Oh, totally. And then, from that moment on where it's like, Oh yeah, that little thing, just seeing that changed my life. Cause most people don't want to hurt people's feelings. Most people don't want to do that. And cultural appropriation is, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, a sliding scale where it's, you know, it's definitely weird and it's, it's very complex and, you know, some things and there's no real rules on it. It's just some mm-hmm. things are done with grace and respect and some things aren't. And I don't know why, but there's just like, there's some things like the Beastie Boys that are three white Jewish rappers from New York who somehow just completely respect black culture and hip hop and do it amazingly with taste. And then there's some people that just completely disrespect it and 
I don't know how to like, there's no real like formula on how you prove what's one or the other, but just everybody kind of knows. And you're like, all right, one is cool and one is definitely not cool. And uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff for sure. It is. And I love that you're continually learning. And uh, I would echo that. And um, speaking of echo, like I uh, got a growing friendship with Colleen Echohawk, who is running for Seattle City Mayor here. Um, She was on the show a few episodes ago. We're actually having lunch today. And, um, you know, was talking about allyship. And she's like, yeah, that's cool. And we really need co-conspirators. Yeah. And you know, that first I was like, it took me aback for a sec. I was like, what does that exactly mean? And yeah. now I think about it even more. And not only does that mean, you know, the literal sense of the word, like conspiring to do something bigger, yeah. but to me, that means like deep listening and getting to know somebody, actually yeah. getting to know somebody, not just the outer shell or the outer skin or the outer um, brand that they are, you know, are like, really getting to know this human being and getting to know their suffering and getting to know their, you know, their dreams and their day-to-day life. And, and that only comes by dedicating the time to do that. Um, just like you were saying, you know, sitting down and listening to somebody talk about cultural appropriation. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, had another fellow on just, uh, Chris Zimmer was talking about, um, transboundary mining issues in Southeast Alaska. Yeah. And it just, this was a fantastic learning moment. I, I mentioned like, you know, who are all the stakeholders there? And he, he then regaled a story about, um, an indigenous elder who said, look, man, we're not stakeholders. This has been our home for thousands of years. Yeah. So you learn little bits, you pick them up, you keep going and keep walking. And, um, that I think is critical, and boy, that's one of the big lessons I've learned during this pause time in in um, this last year is to, you know, keep going and get, give ourselves a little bit of grace and a little bit of uh, leeway, like you said, absolutely, which is super important. Yeah, that's super cool. Tell uh, tell her we said hello. Um, her whole family, the Echo Hawks, are just they're amazing. Every every single Echo Hawk that I've ever met is just like does something above and beyond, uh, super creative, super powerful. It's a hell of a bloodline they have. They're like they're they're yeah they're some powerful and influential people. Like and with good reason. Absolutely, yeah. I will definitely tell her hi, and um, I couldn't agree with you more. And every single person that knows them says the same thing. It's yeah. such a such a cool thing. Um, and uh, what a thrill to you know get to know these folks. Yeah, um, super cool. Well, let's let's kind of um, kind of start wading into your home waters a little bit um, of Alaska. Um, yeah. What you know, you and I have dug into this a bit, but um, for our listeners, what is your take on what we can learn from wild salmon? Um, I really think that they are. There's first off, they're they're just such a huge food source for the entire world for so many animals and humans, and they really. I also think that they're kind of a um, what's the word I'm looking for? But they're 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 just something to follow. What's what's the name for the thing where they're like a uh, 
if you see something wrong with the salmon, you know that something worse is coming. They're kind of at the, oh, uh, the avant-garde sure. of, uh, of, you know. The bellwether. Yeah, yeah, totally, of, of the environment. And they're just kind of, they're the front runners. They're, they're something that you can track, you can see, you can touch that lets you know everything's okay or lets you know that things are not okay. And it's just, these fish have just, their numbers and their bounties. And growing up in Alaska and just seeing how many they are, these things have kept humans and so many animals alive for so long. They're just an absolutely um, just necessary part of our ecosystem. And we need to take care of them. Yeah. And, and you fish for them and, Mm -hmm. and it's, um, this is something that, you know, when I, when I get asked like, why do you still fish and, uh, why would you kill something that you want to save to eat it? Mm -hmm. Um, those are valid questions for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing I always come back to, you know, on the sense of fishing for them myself is that really visceral connection with yeah. them, even, you know, even and if, especially if you're releasing them back into the wild, it, there, there's something that is, um, indescribable really about that, that connection, not only through a thin line, but then actually gently holding this animal and looking into its eye and then being a part of this bigger thing. Have you, have you felt that experience yourself? And oh, absolutely. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. It's uh, it's like, the closest thing I have to, you know, finding God is catching a fish and just like mm-hmm. everything in the moment that we share together. And, um, and yeah, honestly, I have, I have those struggles too with, uh, with, uh, hurting any animal. And, um, for me, you know, it's, it's not just about the fish. It's about connecting with the water and this, the place that my mind and soul goes when I'm standing in the middle of a river. Um, but yeah, I, I've got those, I've got those issues too. And, you know, once again, you got to figure things out and you got to, you got to think what's worth it or not. But yeah, there's, there's something about connecting with it. And, you know, we're not, we're not boats with nets hauling in, you know, a hundred thousand pounds of salmon. There's a couple guys that get lucky to get a couple a year. Um, I do it with great respect and because of my love for fishing for, we're going out and hunting a few fish to just fight with and then have a, have a, you know, carry them on. Um, it's just about a connection between me and that fish and me and nature. And it makes me fight for waters and rivers and fish and the environment that much more. And yep. people that have always taken care of them too. It's a, it's, it's a connection with me. And you when you think about it, it's like, I don't want to hurt animals and I know that I, I am a meat eater and yeah, I've, I've had my problems with that as well, but I think I'd much rather go out and, and take care of something myself where I assume all the responsibility, something that's lived a natural, long, healthy life in the wild than something that grew up in a farm that was just literally born to be fed to people. I like, I'd much rather go and, uh, and do something myself and yeah. Yep. Take care of it that way. Feels, it feels more natural to me. 
Yes. And um, another point on that that um, Ray Hilborn brought up, who's a professor at the University of Washington up in Bristol Bay in the summertime. And we were, we were actually talking about the um, documentary Seaspiracy. And, and mm-hmm. uh, one other thing he mentioned that uh, I always forget to think about or mention is that if you're fishing the way that indigenous cultures did, mm-hmm. that is, you are fishing near the the source point for where these these fish come home to spawn, you know what system you're fishing out of, yeah. and you know which system are um, hurting and which systems are, are thriving at the time, so you can be more selective. And also, we, you know that that animal, that that salmon, is that's a terminal fishery. Like they will be, they will pass on in the next two months. For sure, 100%. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing it mindfully and you're doing it with good management practices, yeah. You, you, you're, yeah, you're, you're doing it about as ethically as you possibly can, I think, you know, from my perspective. Exactly. There's, there's always good and evil with like so many things in, in, in your life. And you can like, you can drive yourself crazy over, over how much energy you use or, or gas, but it's, there's always, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? And you're like, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's, uh, is, is doing a little bit of bad to do a lot more good. All right. And like, you know, I, from what I know, a lot of the people that go out and fish rivers, they're the people that pick up the trash. They're the people that right. get mad at people, not, not handling fish properly. And it's like, the more you get into fishing, the bigger advocate you are for these waters and these animals. And, you know, it's, it's more stuff like it's dams and hatcheries and like a bunch of, uh, big things that mess us up. You know, it's like the water crisis in California when everyone's like, all right, don't water your lawn. Don't take showers. Like, do you realize like these farms, you know, there's like rice paddies in California. Like it's just one of these like giant massive farms shut off their water for one day it's pretty much equal to the entire Los Angeles area, just not taking a shower, like using, you're like, come on, there's a, there's a lot bigger things. There's huge companies that, that dump just that are responsible for massive amounts of pollution and countries that just have like really low regulations. That's really doing harmful things to the environment. Like, you know, definitely think within yourself and what you can do, yourself in your home and everything but like there's also there's some really big things that uh that we got to take care of as well yeah and it can be overwhelming um our our friend zaria foreman talks about it in in um in the the wild in my documentary about Mm -hmm. feeling like these issues are so big you feel overwhelmed and helpless and paralyzed and um that's why to me an issue like Bristol Bay is so critical because it's something that we can get right. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been up yet. Exactly. It is, it is still pristine in its current state. And we don't have to you go know, backwards yet. We don't have to go backwards yet. And, and we know like, I mean, the Klamath is now, God, it's amazing. Klamath is, is going to be damn free here soon. So it's cool. incredible. The Elwha um, is a thriving and glorious success story after removing those two salmon killing dams. But it took 40 years. It took 40 years and $350 million. And it took 
dozens of people and the tribe and orgs and the federal government. I mean, the whole thing. And it's like, why, why would yeah. you do that? And that's and why with Bristol to- Bay, it's like, you know, we could do nothing and just leave it how it is. Right. That's like, we got to start, you know, got to start doing that instead of wasting so much time and resources and, and building things that don't work. I know like everybody's trying to figure things out. And a lot of times in hindsight, you're just like, Oh, we fucked up. That, that didn't actually end up helping at all. But now that we know, let's move forward with that knowledge. And yeah, don't mess. Absolutely. And, and the, the, the other you know, glorious part about Bristol Bay is you, you can, you can have it all. It, it's, you know, the, the big J word jobs, you know, yeah. it's always the, the toggle on every politician's keyboard, you know, um, you've got that. Yeah. It was just reevaluated at the, the commercial fishery alone is worth $2 billion totally. to the American economy, economy, over 15,000 jobs a year. And for, you know, the, extraction of a little bit of gold and copper really in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. that could potentially destroy all of that. Yeah. So here we are, um, in this pause moment for Bristol Bay, we, you know, we know back in November that the army Corps put a pause on their and, and rejected their application for a dredge and fill permit. And now we're at this point of, uh, asking the federal government, the U S EPA to veto this thing once and for all mm-hmm. and asking, um, while we've got this current administration to find a way to permanently protect this place. Um, I know this is a, this is something that's near and dear to your heart, uh, as well. Um, and you know, are there, do you have any insights on, you know, work that you guys are doing or other ways that folks can get involved or even other, other questions you have about, about Bristol Bay at this point? Um, I mean, it's just things like this. I think, I think you're the guy that I would, I would turn people to when they ask me about these things, but I just kind of, you know, look at the big picture and yeah, they're, yeah, jobs are important. People do have to make a living, but look at this. These salmon are gold. They're sustainable gold that give birth to little baby pieces of gold that grow into big pieces of gold. It's not going to run out like the mine will. The mine will run dry pretty quick and and these fish will keep on giving forever. And that's what we have to hold sacred. And we have to, you know, just look at everything like uh, like music. There's there's pop bubblegum bullshit that loses its flavor really quick. And then there's timeless songs that can be, uh, you know, Ain't No Sunshine. I heard it when I was a kid. I can hear it in 50 years and it'd be the same amazing thing. And that's what these salmon are. They're timeless. They're evergreens. We got to protect those things uh, because they keep on giving and they will give life to generations ahead of us. The gold that we dig out of that mountain will not. That value will fall. And uh, yeah. This is why I'm so drawn to and... um, and enamored of the work that you're doing with PTM foundation. And there is definitely a growing awareness and consciousness of, uh, indigenous sovereignty for sure. But also, also the need to turn to indigenous wisdom. Absolutely. Now, you know, I was blessed to be able to talk to, uh, a, a bunch of elders up in Bristol Bay and one, one in particular, Bobby Andrew, who is, who's since passed, he was a, 
huge warrior yeah. um, for the, the watershed. And they talked about, you know, being listened to by the EPA at that time. And, and the fact that they, a piece of paper didn't, didn't dictate their worth or their, you know, um, their judgment on what the value was of this place. They've got 4,000 plus years of oral tradition and stories and songs that, that do that very beautifully. And so, you know, in this work that you're doing, um, and, and in these observations, are, are you seeing a more natural flow back toward indigenous wisdom in, in some of these complex situations that we're facing, um, financially, uh, economically, but also most importantly, as the survival of our species on this planet as a, as a whole connected part of a bigger e- ecosystem? Absolutely. I think the main key is, is balance. And that's always been just a difficult thing with me on so many different levels and aspects of my life. And I really think that, especially with all the environmental challenges that we're seeing come to light these days, I really do think that, you know, I want to, we want to encourage and empower native youth to kind of step up and be, you know, future consultants to companies with green agendas, because as far, as far as sustainability and just like carrying life on, as far as we can tell, there was a pretty natural and beautiful balance between humans and nature uh, on this continent before, before, you know, Europeans showed up. And Mm -hmm. I think just finding that balance and there's, there's always things, you know, it's, it's like fishing. It's like the lumber industry. Like, of course you can cut down a couple trees to build a house to, you know, shelter your family, but like, just do it responsibly. We don't need to take down the sides of mountains. We don't need to, you know, we just cut down all of our trees and ship them to China and um, like just, use our resources responsibly. Don't take more than you need. And I think greed is at the, like the cause of a lot of issues in general. And, you know, and I'm guilty of it. We all are in certain ways. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's just realizing, you know, taking more than you need, because if we don't, we really don't need that much. And we can be, we can be happy just finding, and the happiness that comes with finding a general equilibrium and balance with our environment is huge and such a, you know, a, a good partnership. And when you get a piece of land, you're just like, all right, I'm going to take care of this piece of land. And does, it's not about ownership or something. It's just, I'm going to take care of this and it'll take care of me. Mm-hmm. Do you think we have a shot at saving the wild? things that we love. I mean, it's so easy to get, uh, to get jaded and, and frustrated. Um, but, but if you do, um, what's your best prescription on how to get there? Um, I just say doing something is, is the best medicine, you know, trying and it doesn't need to, don't need to make yourself go crazy because you'll always say that I could have done more. I could have done more. And yeah, you can kill yourself for any cause, but just do the responsible amount. Once again, it's all about balance and you find it in your life and don't, 
you know, protect the things that you care about, but don't, you know, don't neglect your family or your other responsibilities in doing so. It's try to find balance in yourself and do the appropriate amount that makes you feel right, that makes you sleep at night. And, but I, I suggest everybody find something that they care about and do something to prolong the life of it. Whether that's the environment, whether that's, you know, um, some kind of cause, whether it's a company and do it with like all aspects of your life and, you know, use, you know, put your money where your mouth is too and start thinking about companies that, that, you know, you support and start, um, yeah, look into their political affiliations and start, you know, spending your money at one coffee shop versus the other. Cause you know that like they kind of agree with things. It's like, once you start just channeling your energy into one, you know, kind of community of like-minded people and that doesn't necessarily have to be just the people around you because of the the way we live now on online and everything it's like you can really you know you can really do some good build uh a little bit can really go a long way you know it's uh, it's such wisdom i was talking to i i celebrated four years of um sobriety and recovery this week oh, right and on, right on. thanks man and uh um, was talking to one of my friends and, and they were like, yeah, you know, I have now incorporated that into every aspect of my life of being of service to people, of yeah. doing, you know, doing the things that are the principles of recovery. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, find that thing that, that brings you vitality and life and, and purpose and, and do a little bit every day. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So now, now for something completely different, um, <laughs> what's the hairiest situation you've been in live on stage? Oh God, so many! I, uh, <laughs> I figured. Yeah. Oh boy, it's uh, yeah, it's been tough. I guess a lot of um, probably electricity. Uh, we were playing in El Paso, Texas, at Chicks Ballroom, um, which was crazy too because I had a dream the night before in the in the bus that I died on stage. And then we showed up to this place in El Paso that was like, it was a party bar. It was super fun, but it was like real janky. And, uh, (laughs) and there was a crazy storm and there was literally, we're about to go walking out on stage. And I told everybody how I had this dream that I died on stage. And I was like looking around because there's just water dumping like from the sea. Oh my God. Uh, Sparks going off and stuff. I got not a bunch. Um, yeah, mostly on stage is all had to do with electrical currents most of the time. And then, um, then we were getting some death threats for a little while. I had a really, uh, um, we had, uh, we got in a fight with, um, Alex Jones online, uh, Mm. from Infowars and, uh, and we started getting all these like crazy death threats and things got a little weird we weren't like too, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of people were a lot of the other guys in the band were a little more worried because there's a, a lot of like, you know, crazy people with guns and like the guys that grew up in Alaska. I'm like, dude, every day was just living with crazy people with guns. It like doesn't I feel at home with these people? It's it's okay, but we did play a show in the middle of all that uh, all that stuff. Oh, I gotta get down, buddy. Um, <laughs> Wilford Brimley's upset. Willie Smelson, yes, um, and uh, he wants daddy to play. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was, so we were getting a lot of death threats for just a second. And, um, 
and we, we were playing a show outside of Pitt, outside of Pittsburgh in this old church uh, called Mr. Smalls. And I hadn't really worried about, but people, you know, after Dimebag Daryl and stuff, like people are worried about, you know, people bringing a, a gun in and shooting somebody on stage uh, because of the things you say. And there was this guy standing right in front of me the whole time that was like, he was dressed kind of like a, um, uh, kind of like Houston Control. He was dressed really nice, a white shirt, thin black tie, like shaved oh, head, big glasses, like kind of Michael Douglas falling down, which I was like, I love that whole style. He looked super cool. <laughs> but he, he was front row right in front of me. And he had a jacket, a suit jacket with his hands underneath it the whole time. And he was front row and was not nodding his head, was not dancing, was not singing any of the words. And it was just freaking me out. Wow. And I just like. You're, free, you're freaking me out right now. Man. I know, right? And I just kept looking at his hands and I'm just like, because I was the closest one. I'm like, so if this guy moves, I got to go and kick this guy in the face as fast as I can. And it was wow. incredibly distracting. I kept messing up and like forgetting where I was in songs. Then more than halfway through the set, like 45 minutes in, I realized, oh, he was standing next to, I couldn't really tell because she was with a few friends, but he had a date that was also dressed up who was having the time of her life. And I was like, oh, he just took his girlfriend to see her favorite band and he doesn't really like us. And so he's just there being a good boyfriend. I was like, oh, I was like, because why is this guy all dressed up super nice, like not singing, not having a good time in the very front row? And then I saw his girl. There was another girl that was dressed up kind of nice that uh, was not paying much attention to him. And I'm like, oh, he just took her to our show and he doesn't like us. So I was like, OK, maybe feel better. That was the <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. What a good story. God, I'm just sweating. I'm thinking about you just kind of furtively glancing up and it was really you know, creeping me away. You just had this weird stare. It was like Oh God. Yeah, it was something it was something strange, but nah, he was at, he was just on an uncomfortable date. <laughs> oh God. We've all been there. All right, here we are, man. We're gonna go to the the speed round here at the very end. Uh no one escapes the speed round. All right. All right. So just pretend, if you will, that your house and you could this doesn't take a whole lot of imagination for you. Your house is in the path of a flooding river. Mm. So, of course, you get your loved ones out first, and including Wilfred there. Yeah, but in addition to them, what's the one physical thing you save from the flood? <sighs> probably art. I got a really cool mm. painting by Cleon Peterson. I'd probably, yeah, probably grab art, any uh, actual painting that I could get. Solid. All right. It's your spiritual house now. What are the two metaphysical things about you that make you you that you rescue from the flood? Oh, man. Um, uh, probably my compassion for other people. I like that about myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, sense of humor. Because I can't live without that. No, especially through the last year we've been through. Well done. All right. Lastly, is there anything that you would leave behind to get washed away in the flood? Oh, lots of stuff. I'm all about that. Like if a natural disaster comes through and it's just like, I, I really love being put at the whim of the universe 
nothing clears the mind like uh, like no decisions. You know, it's like like no options. It's a uh, it's just well, this happened, and now my life's a little different. And I I fully think that's like it can be terrible, but it can also be amazing. It's just something you can't control, and there's something beautiful in letting go. I'd let a lot of stuff go, and uh, but try to save my fishing poles, even though. Honestly, I could get those again. It's uh but yeah, as long as all the as long as all the the living things are all right and uh you know I'd uh yeah. Letting go. Yeah, I'd be and, all right. Everything's good, replaceable. Good words to live by, man. Um Zach Carruthers of Portugal the man and uh fishing Fishing brother, um, any shows coming up that we get to look forward to plot on the horizon after Ooh. this long, long slog? We have a few and we're starting to book more. We like have some, like we've announced yeah. a couple festivals, um, that potentially we're, we're just, we're like, okay, yeah, we'll do them and we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, we're going to go out and start doing some things. Scary. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah, so if, if folks want to um, follow along and join the fun, yeah. where's the best place you, you want to send them to, to, to get involved yeah, in all the stuff you're doing? Yeah, probably. Uh, we, anything that we do, we can like, if you, if you get on our socials, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, we will direct you to the things so you can kind of see the fun shit. You can see the serious shit. Uh, go to ptmfoundation.org to sign up for the do gooder stuff. And, um, and there's a lot of different options on there. We, uh, we're friends with a bunch of people, so it's not just, uh, you can kind of pick causes that, that align with your values if you want to help out, or if you just like the blanket thing of what we do, you can donate and we kind of spread it out over everything. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things we're doing, uh, some fun merch drops and yeah, we're starting to play some shows. Got some festivals up this fall. We're going to do a couple short runs. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. You and I need to go fishing, man. I, I know. I was just going to wrap this up with, like, we, we need to put a, a day in the books and, and go fishing. And uh, Summer Steelhead is next. So Yeah, I'm in. Um, well, Zach, such a, I always love talking to you. Such a great conversation. Um, we'll, let's stay connected down the trail here and make sure we get that date on the books. And uh, so long for now. All right. Good talking to you, man. You too. How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Say What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water. 
and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.